Our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be dropping in on the call today, GLSA or Group Legal Services Association is an affiliate of the American Bar Association, a professional membership representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our teleconference today is Thoughts on the Practical Use of Technology by Lawyers with Dennis Kennedy. I'm very excited to introduce you to him. Uh, Dennis Kennedy is an information technology lawyer and legal technology author based in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, earlier in his career, Dennis wrote a monthly technology column for the ABA Journal. He uh, co-hosts a legal technology podcast called the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network and has co-authored some books. Uh, LinkedIn in one hour for lawyers with Allison Shields, Facebook in one hour for lawyers with also with Allison, and the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together uh, with Tom Mile. His blog, uh, DennisKennedy.com, is a highly regarded and respected resource on legal technology topics. Wow, Dennis, you're a very busy man, and that was quite a mouthful for me. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, this is great. It's great meeting you in person a couple times this year, Tom, and especially at the the Legal Hackers event in in Vancouver that I was lucky enough to attend, and we had uh, a great time there, and and I had a lot of fun talking with you. So I'm looking forward to this. Great, that's very gracious of you. We had we were really happy to have you at the Vancouver Legal Hackers event. It was, um, kind of an open mic where people got to talk about different legal technology issues. And uh, if you have a local legal hackers chapter, I, I recommend checking it out because there's lots of interesting topics that people talk about. First, Dennis, I'd like to learn um, more about you. Um, I know that sometimes in these kinds of things, we go headlong into uh, you know the topic of the day, which we'll get to, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in learning how you came to this. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? Yeah, so I I, uh, I I literally grew up in a small town in Indiana of 5,000 people, three three stoplights, and uh, f first in my family to go to college, definitely the first to go to law school. I went to law school at uh, Georgetown, uh, ended up in St. Louis where I had friends, met my wife here, um, had our daughter here, and I've been practicing law for 35 years. Uh, been, I started out in estate planning and tax with a, a, a medium-sized firm in St. Louis, uh, medium to large-ish. I guess we had about 50 lawyers at the time in the, the 80s and, and 90s. And then uh, went to, and I started writing about technology. So I'd always been involved in technology. So 1995, I always, I always like to tell the story. I, I got invited to the Windows 95 rollout event in St. Louis. And I went there and uh, I just, it was like an epiphany for me. I, I got lost driving back home because I was just thinking about it. And I decided at the time, so this is like September of 1995, that the internet was the most important thing that was happening in my lifetime. And I had literally missed the whole thing. It was over and I had missed it. And so I went 
And that, uh, I think it was like the next day or two, I put up a website, uh, which was actually on America Online at the time. And uh, so as it turned out, I was one of the first group of, of lawyers with the website in, in 1995. Um, and wow. I, got in, I got involved in, I, a lot of things grew out of that. And I got the chance to write a legal tech column for Lawyers Weekly USA because I was speaking um, on, on technology and had, had done an article or two. Uh, and it was like a friend of a friend thing. And, and so that was a great exposure for me. And I use that to say, I really do want to align my interest in technology and the internet, especially with the work that I'm doing. And I saw the world of estate planning and tax law changing a lot. Uh, didn't change as fast as I thought it would, but it, it, it definitely has changed over the years. And so I switched my practice uh, into technology law and was able to go to a very large firm, Thompson Coburn, in St. Louis, where I got the chance to learn uh, from some great lawyers and with some really great clients. Uh, then I went on my own for a while uh, and then ended up, I was doing work for MasterCard, which has a big facility here outside of St. Louis. In the last 10 years or so, uh, I was at MasterCard doing uh, information technology law uh, and most recently with our uh, digital payments and labs group uh, where I covered uh, what we're doing in what we were doing in research and development, innovation, and all the newest technologies, and got the chance to do some financial inclusion uh, work with our lab in Africa. Um, and at the end of last year, I had the chance to take an early retirement package, <coughs> and uh, I did. So uh, we're going to be moving from St. Louis, where I've been for 35 years, to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, and I'm going to take a little time off and figure out exactly what I'm going to do next. But I think you'll see more writing, more speaking, uh, and some other things from me. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to kind of shifting direction a little bit. Well, that sounds really exciting. Um, I'm glad to catch you at this at this moment because there's so many possibilities um, ahead of you. Like. I would think that one in particular is the ability to throw yourself into all of these interests that that you've had. That I know when when you have a regular job um, as well, it um, time wise to balance everything. But now you'll have more time to to engage. Yeah, I mean, it's there. I read this book, um, and I wish I knew the author, author off the top of my head. It's called Portfolio Life. And the idea is you put together a package things of things that really interest you and kind of work in those areas. And I, I and a part of that would be something that would be, we would call not for, for profit, pro bono, something like that, which I think will be a piece of what I'm doing. I, I've been kind of really flattered that people think I should get into uh, mentoring, coaching, teaching. And so I, I I think I'll pursue uh, some of that. But yeah, I just think the idea now, I, I'm looking forward to to doing more writing, having more time to do things. And, uh, you know, when you, you work for organizations for a long time, there's, uh, you know, whether it's your employer or things I've done with the, the ABA or other, you know, when you're part of any organization, you feel like you can't always just say exactly what's on your mind. You got to edit a little bit. But uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, expressing uh, 
more opinions than than I have been able to do in the in the last good number of years. I think that uh, a distinction that you have amongst the speakers that I've had the uh, um, good fortune to talk to is that you have been involved in this very early on and uh, had an opportunity to really form you know f- form the conversation and and lead it in many ways. You know now. Things seem to be very uh, fashionable in terms of legal tech. And just taking that, by the way, how, how would you define legal tech? Well, I think there's, I think it is shifting a little bit, and, and there might be a couple of definitions. So I always looked in, I always thought in terms of law practice technology. So technology that lawyers use to deliver legal services to make their life easier to to do their work, and that to me was was always how I think of of legal technology. I think what's different now is that legal technology also means delivery of legal services to the to the end consumers, um, whether or not those services are, you know, technically coming from lawyers personally, or they're coming through some kind of legal service. So I think there is a, when I think of legal technology startups, that's what I, I tend to think more of that as that consumer uh, based delivery of of services mm-hmm. through technology, um, but there also is that sort of to me the more traditional legal technology, and that maybe divides into a, a number of of different areas <clears throat> itself, um, depending on size of firm and where your focus is. So, and you know, I look back and I say, um, I still can't get over this, but it was twenty eight years ago I created. Uh, a document assembly application to wills, trusts, and powers of attorney uh, in the law firm I was at. Um, mm-hmm. And that's still, you know, document assembly is still considered an innovative technology that hasn't been widely adopted. And that's a surprise to me. So I think you run the range from some of those things that are automation to practice management to, to the really internet focused things, which has always been um, what has appealed to me. And then, like I said, Delivery of services, delivery of content. There's a there's a lot of lot of areas out there, but I would say probably the two, the distinctions I would say the two key areas are uh, delivery to end consumers and then the the practice assistance tools, uh, which you, you know of all different types. So would would you agree? Because I know I've seen like a a very stark difference here. I agree that. Even within the last five years, things have been night and day in terms of the amount of interest and both financially and popularly uh, in legal technology that it's really changed. Yeah, I would say the the difference there there's been ebbs and flows. So sometimes I'll say, yeah, there was I think there was this much enthusiasm and this much excitement probably in at the you know 98 99 in in that in that time frame. I think what's different now mm-hmm. is the actual investment. So the venture capital uh, the money going into uh, legal technology, I think that's sort of the really distinguishing thing. And then also, I think the willingness of, of law firms and lawyers to look at innovation and maybe some of the newest technologies and some of the more complex technologies, so AI, blockchain, that sort of thing. I think there's a little bit more willingness to do that in the in the big picture and then I also think it's partially economic 
uh, economics. But I think with the market being the way it is for new for law students to come out and you see more, you know, more, more people just doing their own practice. And so I think with the cloud services and people focusing on how can I do a lot cheaply and deliver good client services, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things happening at sort of the, the lower end of, of technology. So it's, it's sort of a, uh, an ongoing story that there's always things happening sort of from the bottom up. And there's really interesting things happening at some of the biggest firms and sort of you don't quite know what's going on in the middle, even though it, at the middle, you can do some really interesting things. Like when I was at a 50 lawyer firm to do document assembly, that made a big difference in what we're doing. But you, you see the focus, things happening at both high end and low end and just a lot of energy around it. Uh, so that that is different, but there have been ebbs and flows of that. Like I said, it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the the late 90s when it really felt like there were a lot of things happening too, but the technology was way different. Um, one thing that's cool now is that things that seem like you could, like the reasons to do things now and why they will appeal to people are the same as they were in the 90s, but the technology is so different. It's all, it's cheaper and it's way more possible. So that that's fascinating to me. And this might be an unfair question for you because I, I know I certainly don't have the answer for it. But the overwhelming success of the Global Legal Hackathon, um, you know, that that event was on multiple continents, over 10,000 or so participants. What, what do you, how do you explain that? <laughs> like, what, well, what do you think are the forces behind that? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing. And so, uh... I was talking with uh, Dara Nevin, who's going around the, the world and and putting together a documentary video with the people, I think primarily the people who won the different places the, at the different sites in the global hackathon. And I think a lot of this is, is timing. I think that uh, there's, I think the global aspect of law has become really interesting. I mean, I focus on this a lot more probably than other people from, because of my time at, at MasterCard, but I think a lot of in a lot of areas, payments and other things that that I've seen, a lot of innovation happens from way out on the edge um, and then comes back uh, to the to the middle. And so, you think if you look at Africa, you know that they didn't have the the wired infrastructure that we have in the U.S. And so, the innovation they've done in mobile and things is is really amazing. And um, there's cool things happen happening there that because of those constraints that don't that won't happen in the U.S. for a while. So in some ways, it's going to feel like we're behind. So I think there's that. So I think the global nature of it helped. I think that the focus being on access to justice helped. I think that the fact that there is venture capital interest and people see legal tech as a an area where uh, there is interest in investment. Uh, I'd heard that 40% of the projects in the uh, the global legal hackathon were uh, had some blockchain aspect to it. So I think uh -huh. that is another area because all the interest in, in blockchain and some of the practical applications <laughs> that came out of the global legal hackathon are are really interesting as 
as first stage projects, especially. So I think it was a combination of those things. And so not to get like all historical here is like the old guy looking (laughs) back. But but I, I think that, you know, when lawyers, when blogging first really got rolling, so say 2003 to 2005, that um, if you went to Wikipedia, there was an actual paragraph or two under the under blogging that referred to to lawyers blogging because lawyer, a number of lawyers, you know, Denise Howell, Ernie the attorney, Marty Schwimmer, uh, you know, I was I was one of those, Tom Mile, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of of uh, lawyer bloggers that we really took to that, and it actually. Um, you know, developed a lot of careers for people. So it's was, it was partially timing and then you get the, the right people. So I think that some of the people involved in the Global Legal Hackathon are, uh, you know, really amazing, really interesting people. And so I just think a lot of things came together and the idea of a hackathon is kind of hot right now. And mm-hmm. um, they just did a great job, social media and and otherwise. And I think that it, to me, it was like the the whole access to justice overlay on it um, really helped as well. Do you mind if I ask you a little bit about access to justice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Fire away. It is kind of amorphous and what people mean by it. Like what, I guess, what, what do you think of when you think of access to justice and how technology can have a, have a hand in it? Well, I think of uh, what I think is eliminating uh so I, I think there are two, at least a couple aspects, as you say. I think there's this notion of access to justice, saying let's focus on people who really don't have access to any justice uh, or to the court system in a meaningful way, um, and let's try to figure out how we can help them. Um, so I think that's that's one approach. The other thing is to say, hey, look, there's a lot of, we have this system in place that's starting to feel really creaky and out of alignment with how people live and work and do things, especially on the internet. And so, you know, I just got, you know, uh, I, I made a couple of trips to department of motor vehicles lately. And I'm like, I, I, why can't I do this online? Why, you know, why can't I handle this stuff? Why right. can't we do things by video? And, you know, some of the blockchain things you're going like, Hey, if, if all I need is, a, you know, to prove up my identity, uh, shouldn't there be a way to do this on a blockchain where we can all rely on it? And so I think there's this sort of big thing of like, there's this justice that we need to do that we uh, associate with legal services, uh, you know, the legal services group and, and all of that. That And I think that's one thing. And then I think there's that sort of 80% of, of people who don't use lawyers or can't afford lawyers. And you're looking at the system the legal system and saying, how can we improve that and people's relationships with that? And I sort of see, you know, both of those aspects of things. And so if you get, you know, me at my most radical, I'm saying I I would like to see technology take lawyers out of places they don't need to be. And so I think some, in some cases, what you're seeing with legal technology and that access to justice space is saying, okay, why why do you need a lawyer to do these things? Why do you need to go to the courthouse? Why do you need to have all these forms? Why does it need to take a couple trips? Why can you only go during during your working day? All those sorts of things. And I, I think it's that kind of stepping back, 
looking at the system and saying, what is, what are we trying to accomplish here? And have we just let the existing system kind of, because it's there, get in the way of uh, letting people accomplish things that they can do either on their own or in a much simpler and more efficient way? I completely agree. Um, I think that, you know, there's interesting work being done in uh, British Columbia, uh, where I live, uh, with Shannon Salter and the British uh, Columbia Civil uh, Tribunal. Um, in, in trying to increase access to justice by making it an easy process. There's, uh, of course, a lot of stuff that, that Joshua Browder has uh, brought to the forefront. Um, he's a little aggressive in, in, how, in how he frames it, um, but eliminating uh, unnecessarily complicated processes is, is one of the things that I see him behind. Um, and then making that available for, for lawyers more generally um, and then also seeing you know, it all of those part of could a, be good things. Yeah, I say also seeing it's part of an ecosystem. So my my daughter is involved in social work, and uh, we went to a legal design event. Uh, she did this for my as my birthday present, agreed to go along with me at Michigan State in in February. And her comment was, "This is really interesting to me because lawyers look at somebody coming in and they focus only on the legal problem, and the legal problem is just one, sometimes small piece of what the big problem is." So my daughter did work in uh, domestic violence, and yeah, you might need a protective order, or there might be these other things, but the that's not what. you know, people are focused on, they're focused on, okay, so how do I find a place to live? How do I, you know, do these things? How do I keep my job? All of that stuff. And you're saying, okay, can we look at um, the access to justice notion as an ecosystem and say, how is law one piece of that? And can we, can we serve the whole person and then look at the bigger picture? And, and that, that I think is an idea that I know that, uh, their judges, I know, and others in in the legal profession are are very interested in. You're right. There there is kind of the uh, justice with a with a big J writ large, and then there's justice with a little J. That's kind of everyday normal stuff that we just need help with, and that's a lot of things that maybe gets overlooked. Yeah, I, I've been using this example lately that uh, I have an LLC, and I want to change the name of it. And I, you know, so I've been on the uh, Missouri, you know, website and trying to figure out like, what is, are there forms or what do I need to do? And I know that there is, there is a corporate paralegal somewhere who does, who does like a thousand of these a year and it would take him or her five minutes. And, you know, I've done this research and I'm not sure exactly that I'm, you know, no exact, you know, exactly what it is to do. And I go, this is just too hard. All I want to do is change the name of this company. <laughs> this should not be as big a deal. And then, then on the flip of that, it's like, even though I know that person exists who can do it for me in five minutes, that I would be happy to pay uh, to do that. I don't really have a good way to get to that person, you know, to find that person and get to them. So, so I, I mean, I think all of us, it's like when, you know, as a lawyer, you try to do your own, legal work and you go like, whoa, I don't even know how to do this. Like I'm too specialized. You know, it's like, you know, I have 
you know, family and friends ask me something about family law, especially. And I go, look, I'm a technology lawyer. I really don't have any idea. And it's different in every state. And they're like, yeah, you just don't want to help me. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't even know. I just don't know anything. I'm really interested to know what, what innovations interest you the most right now based on the practical type of impact they can have in law? Uh, so I, I am interested, I mean, this is going to be a funny answer because I'm interested in the whole innovation process. So I'm doing this thing uh, that uh, Dave Cowan is is doing a series of conferences called the Summit on Legal Innovation and Disruption. And I've been to a couple of them and I have a project that's coming out of that that involves uh, lawyers, corporate legal departments, so, so lawyers, clients, and the uh, a law school and law students, in this case, using Michigan State as an example, because Dan Lina is part of this group, where we said, can we look at a community-based approach to innovation where we use the students for ideas and other things that lawyers always say they don't have time for. So I think that innovation itself is really interesting to me. Um, The specific technologies, I think, um, I'm fascinated uh, these days by what you can do with the different social media tools and and always have been. Um, There's all these different services, the cloud services, uh, and the practice-related things as I kind of rethink what it is that I'm doing. But if you're looking at the technologies that most excite me, um, it's going to be data analytics, it's going to be AI, and it's definitely going to be blockchain. Um, But I'm sort of a thinker about those things because I don't know it even at this point, uh, especially at this point in my life, uh, I think I can do education on this stuff, but I don't think it makes sense for me uh, to be a programmer and get down into it. But uh, the blockchain thing for the last number of years, and especially when I couldn't talk about it when I was at uh, MasterCard, um, I, I've just been really fascinated by on uh, a number of levels. Uh, so AI's longstanding interest of me for me, uh, but the blockchain stuff and and just the whole idea of of uh, digging into into big data sets is is fascinating to me. So that's so that those those things and then applying some of those concepts to me personally. So I was like my favorite area that I would love is personal knowledge, knowledge management. You know, like I would love to have AI that hmm. runs over my stuff. I would like to have data analytics to go over all the the stuff I have on my computer and point me to things. I would like to you know, the recommendation engines, all that stuff, make that personal to me. And that's something I'm, I know I'm going to play with because uh, as I go forward, I think I'm going to be, you know, kind of fall back into the solo category. So I'm looking at a total rethink of all my technology because I have the luxury of doing that and saying, okay, um, what actually makes sense? Can I do some of the things that I've always talked about. Can I try new things? Can I streamline the programs I use? Can I automate more things? You know, this is the the chance to do it. Can I use more services? Uh, You know, what am I, you know, uh, it seems like there's a cloud tool for everything these days. And can I be 
smarter about how I do that and have things work together. So I'm right. That's one thing I'm sort of looking, you know, hardware as well. Can I get by with just an iPad as my main, as my main device? So um, I call that tech zero uh, where I just want to go back to, to, you know, to square one on technology and say, okay, let's see what I really want to use going forward. So it's kind of like, I think that some of my learnings from that will, could be very interesting and affect the things I write for, for lawyers and may be of interest to the solo small firm category because, because I'm going to, because I need to do it for myself. So it's a good segue, I think, to the book you just recently came out with, right? You, you came out with a new book on collaboration tools. So that's kind of addressing these these practical ways that, that lawyers can incorporate this stuff into their practice. Yeah, Tom and I have written together. Tom was one of the, one of the first uh, lawyer bloggers. And um, he's, he's a modest guy, but I always call him like a genius of, of blogging. And which he really hates now because he doesn't write much on his blog anymore. And because our podcast has sort of become our, our main outlet. But he really understood blogging uh, from the beginning, the beginning. And then we started to write together. And then we did the first edition of this book in 2008. And I was just talking to somebody. They said, who's on the, uh, and we did for ABA and who's on the publishing board said, I was ready to vote against this book when you, you guys came in with the proposal because it didn't make any sense to me. And then, and then he said, Tom explained it and I kind of got it. And I said, okay. And he goes, and, that, and like about a year or two later, I was going like, wait, this, this stuff is really important. And, and so 10 years later, we, we were looking at it again to kind of update things. And, you know, what we see is that even if you're a solo, that, almost every day you're interacting with a bunch of different people and sometimes it's cooperation sometimes it's competition but you're figuring out ways to to work together and so we're on uh this uber conference thing right tom which i've never used before but it's an important tool that i need to know how to do and everybody has like different conference tools and we collaborate on documents, uh, right? You know, we need to learn track changes. We need to just figure out how. Uh, my main thing is like, how do we make it easy for people to work with us? And so, the book is a, a kind of a, a practical, very practical approach to say, how do you think about these things? What are examples of the 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 main categories to think about? Um, we have checklists, we have other, other things like that. And then what are some examples of those, those things? And it's, it was interesting to, to me, like how sort of how much and how little has changed in 10 years. So, you know, like what we now call the cloud become has become so important and so so well understood these days. So we don't have to, we didn't have to explain as much. The uh, what I would say the the biggest change uh, for me is the is mobile smartphones and apps because uh, that's that's really changed things and a lot of cl collaboration happens through that and you have to think about um, your user you know the the people you're collaborating with so you'd say if I know somebody's on a smartphone then what tool do I use you know those are 
and and then I think the uh, the other thing we noticed was there were a couple tools that uh, we thought were prominent back ten years ago that we decided not to focus on anymore. And so uh, we had a whole chapter on wikis before. Um, and you know wikis are still a good tool and wikipedia is this great example of it but we we swapped out that chapter for something on slack which we thought was kind of the hot collaboration tool these days so right. you, you see there's some standard tools that a lot of people use sharepoint adobe uh, office 365's made a big change in in how people collaborate uh, but a lot of it's just kind of thinking through collaboration you know how is it different when i'm collaborating with people who are all on the same side because i want to be open i want to let people edit i want to you know it's a different approach versus to say now i'm sending something over to the other side and do i want to lock it down and how do i want to lock it down and and those sorts of things so i think the what what i discovered going through the book for the second edition is how the the ideas and the approaches were were similar and they kind of grew to reflect the changes in the tools but uh like i said I, I think the you know mobile smartphones and apps is probably the biggest change over the last 10 years hmm. well just to be clear for the people calling in uh the book we're talking about is the lawyer's guide to collaboration tools and technologies smart ways to work together I think it's interesting from from what you're saying is just there's a lot of wordplay, you know, when, when things originally come out, new technologies like AI, and then there's a whole discussion about robots taking over and then blockchain. And then there's a whole discussion about what does that mean and ICOs and there's a fear about everything that's going on with that. And, and these it, it just seems that when these things come out, we, we get caught up in, in the wording and 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 over time, it just plays out to become old-fashioned, you know, technology that everyone uses. Like, like mobile, for example, is just old hat now. Like, every, of course, everybody uses, <laughs> you know, their right. mobile phone. It's not, it's not like mobile in quotes or, uh, <laughs> or, uh, or these other things where, where it's this, it's this uh, kind of new thing you have to kind of like walk around and poke to figure out what it is. Um, so I, I, I really agree with you that. You know, ten years from now, this stuff is going to be just a uh, state of the art. Yeah, yeah, and I think you have to understand. That... You just have to understand basics and implications. And so, I think that for me, I, I, I you know, people tell I'm, I'm like good at explaining technology to people, and I always look to say, okay, what's practical? Um, I love this uh, this approach that uh, Clayton uh, Christensen who's known for the innovators, the book, The Innovator's Dilemma calls jobs to be done theory, which is, okay, what are you hiring the technology to do for you? And if you can ask that question and then answer it, you learn a lot more. So, you know, when I talk to people about blockchain, you know, you try to explain it and you see their eyes glazing over because you didn't have a great example. And then uh, mm -hmm. some our friends at the Legal Talk Network have this service of process company, and they did a blockchain uh, proof of concept that allows you to say, when you do the actual service, you're gathering location information, other things like that. And once then you write that information to a blockchain, 
and then when they're so you know that's solid it hasn't been changed and when it comes to the time you have to actually if you have to prove that the process was served then you have sort of this verified indisputable uh, proof that uh, the service was made. And I was like, oh, that's right. such a great example. Cause I, you know, it's not, not the thing. I mean, I have another example of how you can track the coffee bean that you're drinking from the, the ground all the way to the cup that you're drinking from. And I think that's cool too. But I think the service of process thing where you say, what blockchain does is a lot about this verification that occurs in a way that everybody can trust and it's between untrusted parties um and you say okay it's encrypted it can't be changed and then once i say it's like chain of custody it's chain of identity uh it's provenance in the the chain of title then i think once you have a couple of examples people can say okay I get that. And I, I don't think it's really helpful to say, okay, on blockchain, you can do smart contracts and that's going to replace all lawyers and all contracts. <laughs> you go, right. No, actually smart contracts are fascinating, uh, but they're really, I understand it better as intelligent agents. And you say here, the perfect example to me is you have an escrow account um, and you say, uh, once uh, like a time period expires or some other thing happens and it's verified, then the money automatically goes through and you don't have to have the, the middle party. You go, okay, I get that. And then you can move from that to say, uh, like I was talking to people in the life insurance industry and I said, wouldn't it be great if you, like when somebody died, you know, like the death certificate was on a blockchain and it was verified um, and your insurance, the fact that you owned insurance policy was verified on blockchain and that could be used by the insurance company and they would know the beneficiaries and you wouldn't have to find a policy or death certificates and the money would just get automatically sent out and you go, okay, I, I get that. But to, if you're saying, oh, it's a smart right. contract could take away from lawyers, you go like, I do a 150 page M&A contract. There's no way that can be coded. And you go like, yeah, I mean, that, you know, maybe it could sometime in the distant future, but that's not really a great use case at all. But these, these simple things, just go back to that access to justice, right. small, small J, you go, wow, this could be really useful. So like, why and do I have to, you know, once I got the driver's license or a passport, why am I proving up identity ever again? You know, there should be some way that I can do that. And you go, if the blockchain allows that to be validated, then wouldn't that be great? Because that would make my life easier. I, I completely agree. Um, and it, it's interesting, like like you mentioned, a lot of times when 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 these things are talked about, the <laughs> the most extreme, uh, you know, case is brought up of something that could possibly happen if there's like twenty different conditions that are met. Uh, you know, extremely rare case. And yeah, that's true. That that might require, that does require um, a lawyer to to be a lot more thoughtful and, and to consider all of those different possibilities. But the, you know, the 99% use case is, is more simple than that. Um, when, and also if technology is used right as a practicing lawyer, it frees up your time to do. I, I, I always say that to me, at its best, law is this incredibly creative profession. And if you're like 
doing the same things over and over again and you're proofreading and you know just this drudgery work it's not creative but if you let can offload that onto technology i mean the same way lawyers learn to offload certain things to paralegals and others then that frees you up to do the stuff that's uh, really creative really interesting where you can really help your clients and, and society at large and and that's what I think is becomes the cool thing about uh, about being a lawyer. Uh, that, of course, you know, raises mm -hmm. the billable hour issue to say, like, how do you charge for your creativity? But um, we can we can figure that out. Definitely. Um, I did get a couple of questions for you from from listeners. So let me. OK, let me jump into those really quickly. The first is from uh, Nick Rishwain. And he wanted to ask you, and you, you kind of touched on this before, but do you consider social media a component of legal tech? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I do because it's the the communication piece. So um, there's a great, and I, I forget who said this, but it's been said for a long time. But the computers were initially thought of being this computation tool. And what they really became, what their highest use is, is a communication tool. And so I think that with social media, you have this communication and people use it in different ways. So I, because I'm a, a writer and I've always had columns and things, I look at social media as a publishing channel. Now, my friend Kevin O'Keefe at Lexblog, he grew out of a thing where it was very participatory and you answered questions and there was social engagement. And so we have this conversation a lot because he thinks the best use of social media is through this engagement. And I don't disagree with him, but it's like hard, hard for me. You know, it's kind of, I always felt like being engaged in social media was like inviting people to, to look at your email inbox and see how far behind you were, you know, cause you always feel <laughs> guilty that you're not responding to people. So I think there's different ways to use it. And I, I just find it hard these days to say, how are you going to reach people and, um, and be known if you're not using social media tools, the other communication tools, and especially things like LinkedIn. Um, I mean, when I occasionally run into a, to a lawyer and I look them up on LinkedIn and they don't exist, I, 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 I it just befuddles me, you know, uh, to say like, how, how can you not do that? Cause that's how people are going to going to find you um, on, on the internet. So um, I, so I think it is a legal tech and it's one of those things where you'd say, if I'm looking as a practicing lawyer and say, here are these different buckets of legal tech, I think it, what makes sense is to go to what you're, you know, kind of gravitationally drawn to, because that's what you tend to do best. But that to me would be one of the aspects. And I would look at it to say, what is the job again? What is the job I'm hiring social media to do? So people used to say to me about LinkedIn, I don't get LinkedIn because I'm on it and I'm not getting any clients. And I don't even understand how I would right. get clients. Like, how do I reach out to clients? I don't know. Potential clients. I go, that's not what LinkedIn is before is for. You're trying to connect with, you're trying to build, grow, and nurture a referral network. You know, so 
And the same thing with blogging. People say, well, if you were doing estate planning again, would you do, what kind of blog would you do? I, I said, I would do a blog that was directed to financial planners, life insurance people, and accountants and come up with things that were helpful to them. So they would say, oh, I have a client who needs a lawyer to help with this. Here's this guy who's been really helpful to me and provides this great information. And if I was reaching out to like every, you know, everybody who might need a will or something with a blog, I, you know, that's, that's a really difficult thing. And you're probably not going to get any, any kind of payoff from that. But if you look at social media to say, does this enhance my referral uh, network, then it starts to become interesting. Already say, if this, if I'm writing these things anyway, can I put these out here? Or I always wanted to experiment with videos, or I did a CLE presentation, can I put it on the internet? Then social media starts to become uh, really interesting and, uh, you know, in, in a number of different ways. And, and what I like as a platform is you can take it in, in so many different ways. So I have my own way of doing it, but other people have been really successful um, doing things that don't exactly make sense to me uh, for myself, but I get how that makes sense for them. One other question we have is from uh, John Waxman, and he said that you, that you had talked about uh, Document Assembly uh, doing some yourself in the past uh, with estate planning. Um, today, do you have any thoughts on products for document assembly today? Is uh, is there one that stands out for you? No, I've, I've looked into that a little bit. And I think that what you find is, so the general feeling is, is this. So when I did it, I was, I felt like I was hand coding. Um, so there are tools like hot, uh, hot docs that um, will allow you to to do a number of things. They can feel complicated and you might have to have somebody help you. There are also, but people are also creating templates. And so the thing about document assembly um, that was the epiphany for me was once I stopped worrying about going for the 100% perfect document as a result, to saying what I really wanted to do was to get a really good first draft that I could then work from, then document assembly really kind of fell into place for me. So I think if you can start to say, okay, so what kind of makes sense there? What are those tools out there? So there are some things where you can say, well, there's a kind of classic document assembly uh, tool like hot docs. There are some other things out there that allow you to kind of assemble clauses using the tools, you know, building off of what's in Microsoft Word. There's some higher end tools. There's some cloud-based tools. Um, I've always liked a company. I don't know their pricing, so this is is not um, not the best on on this. But there's a company out of Australia called Xari E X A R I, and I've always liked what they've done in in document assembly. So it's and it's a cloud based tool. So I think there are a number of things yeah. out there you can kind of explore. But I think if you sort of back away to the eighty twenty rule and say like what what do I want to accomplish. You know, so when I did a document assembly, um, it took, we'd fill out a list of what we wanted. It would go down to word processing. We'd come back the next day. Um, you do some other things to cut some other stuff out, go back to word processing again. And then you're, you're kind of ready to roll up your sleeves and work on the customization. And 
I had the sense that it took like five hours of legal time. It just seems crazy to me, but um, you know, it was like five hours of legal time and two days to get like a decent first draft done. And so when I worked on the document assembly thing and you answered a set of questions and in five minutes you had that, that good first draft that you could work from to customize. It was like, this is amazing. And then I said, oh my God, like I still have the same billable hours requirement than I had before. And I just like yeah. killed myself by knocking out five hours on everything that I do. But, but the improvement was great. And you know, your work, your work just changes. So I would say um, when I, so think about document assembly. I think it's another thing where you say you kind of want to step back and say, okay, what's going on? And and you and I would say, where do you have volume? Where do you have repetition? Um, what are some easy things to do that really benefit you? And then start to to look into the tools. And so so I say something like hot docs might be too much, but something that's out there that would um, help you use sort of like this the uh, the automation tools within Microsoft Word might do the trick for you. Or there might be like a simple, let's call it non-legal document assembly thing. There's a cloud service that could give you um, exactly what you want. So I think it's, uh, there's no... Uh, there's no one answer. It's like when people say, what's the best technology? I always say it's like <laughs> best, best for what, you know, and then you got to look at what you're doing. Yeah. Remember a uh, colleague of mine had, uh, oh my God, just piles and piles of folders on his desk. And this was many years ago. And they asked me like, what was the best scanner uh, for them? And I was like, whichever one will hold the most weight because you're just going to stack files on top of it and never use it, you know? And so, uh, which was really going to be the case. So you kind of have to look at your work process and, and, you know, a number of factors and, and then kind of start to explore the tools. But as in the collaboration tools book, we put a lot of emphasis on the free tools and trying new things because it's pretty difficult to like pick the right thing the first time. And so I think, uh, now with the cloud services going really simple at the beginning and seeing if it works for you and then being able to walk away from it, you know, that notion of fast failing, but kind of walk away from it, try something else, um, go simple, you know, 80-20 rule. Um, in a way, I started with durable powers of attorney, right? What, what could be easier? You can change some names. You can, there's going to be a few changes. Once you get that, you build to a more complex thing. And so it's simpler. And then I think the, the really interesting thing with document assembly now is with these law students coming out, they're all interested in technology. And they got a little bit of legal knowledge from being in law school. And if I were doing document assembly for a firm, I would hire a summer intern out of law school and put them to work on the document assembly project. I think that's a, a, a really good meshing of their interest and skill sets. And then you can kind of supervise them and uh, you probably don't need to get your hands dirty with, uh, with, with the coding, but uh, so a number of approaches to go with that. Well, I, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, and I, I, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I mean it's it's great. I you know, obviously I love talking about this stuff, and I, I think for people who want to get 
I, I always keep threatening to, to blog more, but really to kind of get my current thinking. And especially as I bounce ideas up to Tom Mile, the Kennedy Mile report on the legal dot network is the way to go. And, and, you know, obviously I'll, I'll plug the book, which is, uh, as I understand it now only available on the ABA's online bookstore. Uh, but, uh, um, we liked the book, so uh, we were pleased with how it came out. So that's out there now as well. Just just came out a couple of weeks ago. So what's the place on your list that you've never visited? But you love? Oh, um, yeah, we've been thinking about uh, about that a, a lot because I've been to a, a lot of places and um, we've been th- been looking at things. And I think with my wife and I, um, and I was just I was listening to a podcast this morning where they're talking about learning Japanese. I think that going to Japan would probably be on on the bucket list for for my wife and me. And there's no way that we could keep our daughter from uh, going with us. So that would be like a family a family trip. So, um, that would be cool, but there's, I'm looking forward to having some time to travel at MasterCard. I got to travel a little bit, you know, Austria, Singapore, um, some other places. And, and I've really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed, uh, Vancouver immensely the times I've been there. I want to thank you again, Dennis, for sharing your time and thoughts today. Uh, how can people keep in touch with you? Um, I'm super easy to find. So I be being early on the internet, like you can Google me and I generally come up really easily, but it's denniskennedy.com. Um, I got the, I also bought the domain name, denniskennedy.blog, which is what I originally named my blog is kind of like a little joke that blogs would one day become so important. They would have their own domain name and then that wasn't the case for about 15 years and then they did. And then I had to spend <laughs> extra money to make sure that I actually got that domain name. So the joke was, was kind of on, <laughs> on me. And then, like I said, the podcast is on the legal talk network. And then I do a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm chair of the board for the ABA's legal technology resource center. And I like some of the things that we're doing there that we're starting to build. And that's a great resource for lawyers interested in technology with a number of things going there, including survey information uh, and and a, a blog that's that's really active that we have postings, I think, just about every day now. Thank you again, Dennis, for being my guest today. Um, and thank you all who called in for attending our teleconference, Thoughts on the Practical Use of Technology by Lawyers with Dennis Kennedy. Um, again, this is Tom Martin. Remember, GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out at glsaonline.org. Thanks again, Dennis. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Me too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.